All right, praises be to our loving Father that we are able to again gather together and study his words and his commands. Now tonight we go back to the book of Revelation for our BHP, and so we're going to look at the seventh seal, and it's all about the golden censer. Now what is this all about? What does the seventh seal entail? Before we go ahead and jump to the book of Revelation chapter 8, just a brief review concerning the seals that we have already studied and uncovered so far. So, so far we know that the first seal was fulfilled in the papacy. This is when the Roman pontiff succeeded and was triumphant in becoming the head of the entire church. That was in 534 AD. 800 AD was the rise of Islamic terrorism. 1000 AD, the third seal corresponds to feudalism and serfdom. 1279 AD to 1351 was the fourth seal. And take note, the fourth seal was represented by death. Death was the rider of that horse, and death was uh, elicited upon the earth through different instrumentalities, namely war, famine, pestilence, and all was fulfilled uh, successively from the Mongol conquest to the Great Famines to the Black Death. And so from 1279 AD to 1351, we find the fulfillment of the fourth seal, the unfolding death upon the whole earth. In 1524 to 1651, we have the fifth seal, which was martyrdom for the word of God. So we know this was led really by the Catholic Church. They put many people to death and the Inquisition continued onwards and even extended to our time today. And then from 1755 to 1833 comes the sixth seal, which are terrifying natural events, which bring fear of judgment. This began with the Lisbon earthquake, November 1, 1755, followed by the dark day of New England, then the Leonid meteor showers in 1833, and the Sumatra megathrust earthquake, November 24, 1833. Now, what we need to emphasize concerning the unfolding of these events is how they occur in history successively, right, chronologically. And so when we look at the events of the six of the first six seals and look for historical fulfillments of what is mentioned in the book of Revelation, we find that there's a correspondence between the successive events that has been detailed in the book of Revelation and the historical record that we have uncovered and shared with you that appeared to be a perfect match with the record of the book of Revelation. Another thing we need to also notice is that all of these events that took place are basically natural events. And these natural events, of course, um, took place in such a manner to tell us so that we can see the pattern unfolding that the book of Revelation was being fulfilled during these uh, events. So that's the timeline so far that we have for the first six seals of the book of Revelation. So we go to the final seal, which is the seventh seal. And so what event is going to take place when the seventh seal is open? Let's read the book of uh, Revelation 8, 1 to 2. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So keep in mind, there are seven seals and so when the seventh seal is open, it is the last of the seven seals. And so that means we're getting closer and closer 
to the end. And so when the seventh seal was open, the Bible says there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. We'll talk about that a little later on. But also I wanted you to look at what happened, what Apostle John also saw when the seventh seal was opened. Not only was there silence in heaven for about half an hour, Bible says there were seven angels standing before God and each were given seven trumpets. And so this corresponds to the seven trumpets of the book of Revelation. If you still remember, the structure of the book of Revelation is such that we find the heptatic uh, structure, which is a sevenfold pattern. We have seven seals, right? And the seventh seal has seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet has seven bowls of judgment. And so when the seventh seal is open, Apostle John sees in verse 2 that there, there are seven angels, each having trumpets. And so after the seventh seal, there's going to be a blowing of seven trumpets from the seven angels, which will lead to certain events on earth that we will look for when we study trumpets. But before we go ahead and look at trumpets, we need to first look at the event that is mentioned in the seventh seal. And so when we go back to Revelation 8, 1 to 2, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And so when the seventh seal was opened, initially there was silence. What is the silence all about? What is its purpose? I believe there's two reasons for why there is silence when the seventh seal was opened. One, it elicited a dramatic effect. It's like when you are a speaker and you're speaking, all of a sudden you begin to pause for dramatic effect because that pause will command attention and people will be focused on what you're going to say next. And so what we have here, after these successive events of the first six seals, there's a pause for dramatic effect because what will happen next is pivotal in the history of man and the history and work of restoration. So there was silence, and this silence was so emphatic, it must have been deafening. Why? Because in heaven, in particular, in the throne room of Yahuwah Abba and Yahusha HaMashiach, what can we hear continuously? If we go back to Revelation 4, verse 8, the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day or night, night saying, Holy, 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 Yahuwah God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so there's one thing about heaven. It's not silent. It's filled with praise. It's filled with him singing. As a matter of fact, these living creatures, according to the Apostle John, they do not rest. They are night. What do they do? They sing praise to Yahuwah. Holy, 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 Yahuwah God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So you have all this pleasant sound of praise, all this resounding a message of praise from these angels and the heavenly hosts. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says there's silence for about half an hour. What comes to your mind? It was like a pause for dramatic effect, right? Something is about to happen. There's going to be a pivotal change in the history of man. Something is being prepared. And so that's what we're going to look at. What was the purpose of that silence in heaven for about half an hour? 
Let's go to Revelation 8, verse 3. We read verses 1 to 2. Let's read 8, 3. Then another angel having a golden censer. On the pause for a while, remember, when the seventh seal was open, there were seven angels that were seen. Each one had a trumpet, but this one did not have a trumpet. This one, another angel, it's still in the seventh seal. He stood at the altar. Want to pause there for a while? Because when we went to study the book of Revelation chapter 5, we got a, a look at the throne room of God. And we know that the tabernacle here on heaven is but a copy of the tabernacle in, or the tabernacle here on earth is but a copy of the tabernacle in heaven. In the tabernacle of heaven, there's an altar. Here on earth, there's an altar of burnt sacrifice and the altar of incense. But in heaven, there's no altar of burnt sacrifice because there's no need for a burnt sacrifice in heaven. But there's an altar of incense that Apostle John sees, and there was an angel that was standing at the altar, and this angel was given what? A golden censer. What is this all about? Well, he goes on to say, he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. So here's his angel. The seventh seal is open. There's silence in heaven for about half an hour, and then this angel comes. And he brings, or he carries with him, a golden censer. And he was given much incense because his work is to offer the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar. And so what is the censer all about, the altar all about? If you still remember our study concerning the tabernacle. Tabernacle basically is the tent, but outside the tent, you also have the altar of bird sacrifices, right? And the place where you wash your hands, the bowl. Um, and then you have the tent itself. In the tent, you have three objects. You have the lampstand. You have the table of bread. And you also have the altar of incense that is directly in front of the curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place. Behind that curtain, we have the Ark of the Covenant. And so when the tabernacle was starting out before the temple was built, those outside of the tent was made of bronze, okay? But eventually when Solomon dedicated the temple, everything changed. He made everything gold. Now Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of God, the altar of gold, the tables on which was the showbread, the lampstand with the lamps of pure gold to burn in the prescribed manner in front of the inner sanctuary with the flowers and the lamps and the wick trimmers of gold, the purest gold, the trimmers, the bowls, the ladles, the ladles, and the censers of pure gold. As for the entry of the sanctuary, its inner doors uh, to the most holy place and the doors of the main hall of the temple were gold. So the tabernacle, when it was made, all of the artifacts that were outside the tent itself was made of bronze. But when the temple was dedicated, everything became made of gold. Okay, just so want you to keep that in mind. And so when we look at the tent, when, a, when the priest enters the tent, immediately he sees the three items. You have the uh, lampstand, table of bread, and at the center, what do we have? The altar of incense. And so the altar of incense is right there. You see it? Circled in blue. That's the altar of incense. And so what the priest will do is to place, is to put fire 
and also uh, incense on the altar to burn it. And so the smoke of the incense will rise up. Now, where is the priest going to get the fire from? Where do you think he's going to get it from? Well, he's going to get it from the altar of burnt sacrifices. So when they burn the sacrifice, the priest will come with a cistern, which is like a bowl, right? It's like a small container. They will put the coals of fire in there, and, to, and the priest is going to bring the burning coals into the uh, altar of incense, as taught in the book of Leviticus 16, 12 to 13. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before Yahuwah and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before Yahuwah and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony so that he will not die. By the way, Leviticus 16, 12 to 13 describes for us one of the ceremonies that is take that takes place on the day of atonement. So on the day of atonement, what the priest will do as part of the whole series of ceremonies that is affixed in the day of atonement, the priest is going to get the censer, go to the altar, get the burnt coals, bring some incense, go to the altar of incense, and then mix them together and it produces an aroma and also smoke that goes upward. And the reason for this is so that the priest will not be able to, the high priest will not be able to see the Ark of the Covenant. So it, it would remain concealed. And so what was the incense about? What was it made of, the incense? Or actually the recipe for making incense was given to Moses in the book of Exodus 30, 34 to 38. And Yahuwah said to Moses, take fragrant spices, gum, resin, onicha, and galbanum, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it to powder and place it in front of the testimony in the tent of meeting, for I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to Yahuwah, whoever makes any like it to enjoy its fragrance must be cut off from his people. So this uh, incense was set apart and for use only for the purpose of this ceremony. So if there were Israelites who took this recipe and used it to create a fragrance that they applied personally, they are to be cut off from the people of Yahuwah. This was holy. It was set apart for the use in the tabernacle, for the use in the temple. So the incense is placed in the altar of incense together with the coal, right, brought by the, the priest who carries the cistern. The cistern is like a small bowl that the priest carries. He brings the coal, brings the fire into that bowl and make and places that in the altar of incense. And so when the incense begins to smell and it produces the fragrance and the smoke begins to go up or ascend, what is its purpose? What does it point to? In the book of Psalms, 141, verse 2, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So for us to understand the message of the book of Revelation, we need to understand some Old Testament ideas, Old Testament idioms. Incense is a picture 
of our prayers when we offer prayers to Yahuwah. This is why when we think of incense, automatically we should think it's the prayers of the people of God. And in fact, in the book of Revelation, this is exactly what we find. Revelation 5 verse 8, that when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and the golden bowls full of incense, which are, what does it say? Prayers of the saints. And so the cistern, uh, the incense, it's symbolic of the prayers of the people of Yahuwah. And so now it kind of makes sense why there is silence in heaven. There's silence in heaven because Yahuwah is taking the time for the people to listen to the prayers. The prayers of the people of God. Because Yahuwah is going to take action concerning the prayers that are made by his saints. What's the proof? Revelation 8 verse 4. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So here's the angel, has a cistern, has incense, right, which are the prayers of the saints. And the Bible says the smoke of the incense, which are the prayers of the, the saints, ascended before God. What does that mean? Yahuwah, our almighty Elohim, is going to answer the prayers of his saints. Well, what is the prayer about, right? What are the prayers of the saints that is represented by the incense? Do you still remember the fifth seal? Because in the fifth seal, it mentions to us the prayers of the saints. What is the fifth seal? Let's go back to Revelation 6, 9 to 10. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. So what was the topic? What was the prayer of the saints, which, are, which is likened to incense? What was it all about? Well, in the fifth seal, we find a symbolism. We find in the vision of the apostle John when the fifth seal was open, the, the, uh, the souls that were under the altar. What is that altar again? The altar of incense. And what the Apostle John describes are people who were put to death or martyred because of the word of God. And so what the prayer is all about that will be heeded by Yahuwah when the uh, seventh seal is open is the prayer concerning the word of God and Bible says, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Now, we know how this was fulfilled. This was fulfilled when the people of God who stood by the word of God, what happened to them? They were put to death. And we know who led most of the killings. It was Catholicism, the Catholic Church, even the Pope. Uh, admitted that they were responsible for killing thousands of people because they resisted the teachings of the Catholic Church. So we know Catholicism, in large part, was responsible for many slaves 
because of the people who stood by and was convinced by the purity of the word of God. And so we know when the seventh seal is open, Yahuwah is going to answer because now it's time for Yahuwah to begin answering the prayers of the saints. Well, how will Yahuwah answer the prayers of the saints? Well, to get an idea of how this will be answered, we have to understand the history of the ecclesia, which is the history of Yahusha's work. When Yahusha came to earth and he began to preach the gospel, it meant the kingdom was at hand and he presented the kingdom to who? People of Israel. And so we have here an outline of basically the work of salvation in these last days. When we say these last days, beginning with the work of Mashiach, when he was here on earth preaching the kingdom. When he preached the kingdom, he was offering it to the people of Israel. But what did Israel do? They rejected the salvation message. They rejected the kingdom. And who did they kill? Yahushua. And so Israel was broken off. And after Israel was broken off, you know, Yahushua ascended to heaven. And a remnant of Israel um, was called. And then came the... Uh, because remember when our King Yahushua, after he ascended to heaven, on the day of Pentecost, what did he give out? What, what, what did he give out on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit. So there were remnants of Israel who did not reject Yahushua, but accepted the message of Yahushua and became parts of the Ecclesia. But it was only a remnant because most of the people who called themselves Yeshara during that time, well, they rejected, they even killed Mashiach. So there was a remnant of Israel called, but eventually what would happen to them? They would be overcome by the Gentiles. This is what we call the age of the Gentiles. And during the age of the Gentiles, we did a Bible study concerning this. If you have time, uh, please go back to the BHP topic concerning the mystery of the Gentiles, because we tell you what happened uh, with the disciples of our King Yahushua and what eventually happened with the true faith. The true faith was, was mixed with pagan ideas from Gentiles, Gentile nations. And so during the age of the Gentiles, there was a great apostasy from the word of God. However, prophecy also tells us there's going to be a remnant of the lost sheep of the tribes of Israel who will be called. And after this will be the rapture, then Israel drafted back in and Israel receiving salvation by accepting Yahushua. And then we have the kingdom established by Yahusha during tabernacles. And so what we need to understand in the work of Yahuwah's restoration is the reason why there's restoration after the apostles was because of what the Gentiles did. What did the Gentiles do? What happened during the age of the Gentiles? Well, many things happened. I mean, if you're going to look at how pagan beliefs and ideas crept into the faith, through the process of syncretism, so many of the doctrines held by the apostles, the faith of the people of Yahuwah in the first century led by the apostles, their faith was corrupted slowly but, and gradually, but surely they kept apostatizing. They were taken away from the true faith. And some of the ideas that became mainstream because of the influence of the Gentiles is the idea of the Trinity and pagan practices 
and celebrations like Christmas and Easter and Halloween, All Souls Day, so on and so forth. There's just too many. Perhaps one of these days we're going to look at all the Gentile influences of present-day Christianity and Catholicism. What else? The worship of idols and images, the removal of the sacred names of Yahuwah and Yahusha, and the desecrating of the Sabbath. And, they, and so they declared the set-apart days. Now Sunday instead of Sabbath or Saturday. And majority of this alteration of the faith came from the hands of what would eventually be called the organization, the, the Holy Roman Catholic uh, Church. And so they too, they were responsible for slaying uh, many people because they would not accept uh, the doctrines that they were presenting. And so when the fifth seal was open, there were people who were promoting the pure word of God, but they were put to death. And so the Bible tells us that Yahuwah is eventually going to answer the prayers of the saints, which is to judge and to avenge. And so to judge and to avenge will begin by the proper restoration of the word of God. And so that's kind of like the timeline, the restoration of the word of God that would lead to judgment. And so this is what Revelation chapter 8 is all about. And so when we go back and look at the context of Revelation 8, 1 to 4, it reads as follows. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was, for, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And so when the seventh seal was open, the Bible tells us that the prayers for, uh, for, uh, for vengeance, the prayers for judgment is going to begin because it's going to be answered by our father, Yahuwah. This is what the golden censer is all about. It contains the incense, and the incense represents the prayers of the people of God. So what we find, this is why there's this big pause, this great dramatic silence, is because Yahuwah is going to initiate his work of restoration at the opening of the seventh seal. But there's another reason why. Um, there's this pause, this silence for about half an hour. Yes, Yahuwah is telling us he's going to begin his work of restoration, but also judgment is going to follow soon. And how does Yahuwah communicate the impending judgment upon the earth? Let's read Revelation 8 and the verses 5. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Hmm, what could that possibly mean? Something that Yahuwah wants the people of the world to know is judgment day is at hand. And so we can probably call when this happened, it was like Yahuwah preparing the world for its impending judgment. And at the same time, because the world is going to be judged, because of the mercy and love of the Father, who was also going to initiate his work of restoration and salvation. And how is this manifested upon the earth? Well, the Bible says the angel took the censer, right? 
and filled it with fire from the altar. And what does the angel do with the fire? Bible says he threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And so Revelation 8, 1 to 4 are symbolic. But Revelation 8 to 8, 5, we believe, is literal. It's physical. What do you mean it's physical? Why are we sure? It's a physical, historical event. Because it mentions noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquake. One might think, well, Revelation 8, 1 4 represents the prayers of the saints. And so Revelation 8 to 5 must also be symbolic. But we believe because of the mentioning of noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake, we believe it's not symbolic, but literal. And so what happened in heaven, the decision of Yahuwah Abba to begin the work of restoration, will have a manifestation on earth. And this manifestation on earth is not just spiritual, it's also physical. It's, it's a historical event, just like the events of the first six seals. This is why we're going to look for this event. But why are we sure? Because it mentions noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake, that this event is a literal physical event. Well, if you notice, Revelation 8.5 is the seventh seal, right? It's at the, it's at the opening of the seventh seal. It turns out, uh, noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquake, it's also mentioned in the seventh trumpet. You notice Revelation 11, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. There was loud voices in heaven, which said the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. The ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings. Notice that? Noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. And so hail was added. Okay, And why was hail added? To give us a clue that these, these events are actual physical literal events, because this also happens not just on the, se the, the seventh seal, not just in the seventh trumpet, but also the seventh bowl. In the book of Revelation 16, then the seventh angel poured out his bowl. So we're in the seventh bowl, right? And what happens? Uh, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and the loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, it is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, verse 21. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. And so this tells us this was a physical event. And so if Revelation 16 was a physical event, would an act with actual hailstones falling upon human beings, we know the Revelation 11 event, the seventh trumpet event, is also physical. And Revelation 8.5 is also physical because they're all connected because of the noises, the thunderings, the lightnings, and the earthquake. And so the question now becomes, when was this fulfilled in history? When was the seventh um, seal manifestation on earth fulfilled in history? We know when the seventh seal was opened, Yahuwah hears the prayers of his people. 
is going to initiate the work of judgment, is going to initiate the work of restoration. But when is this event described as fire from the altar thrown to the earth, which creates noises and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake, when did that take place? Well, before we go ahead and look at history, to look for a historical event that matches the details of the prophecy, we need to first understand this has to take place after 1833, right? Because these are successive events. So it has to take place after the sixth uh, seal event, the last one, which was the Sumatra Megatrust earthquake in 1833. So when was this fulfilled? Well, we believe it was fulfilled um, when there was a mysterious blast that took centuries for it to solve a mysterious blast that took place in Russia. It's called the Tungusa Mystery, Tung, Tung, uh, Tunguska History. How many here are familiar with the Tunguska Mystery? It's one of those mysterious events that took place in history, like the dark day, the meteorites, um, the great earthquakes, right? This one is the Tunguska Mystery. And when did this take place? according to Scientific American, according to the magazine, June 30, 1908. So it fits our timeline, does it not? 1908, June 30, 1908, at 7.14 a.m. Central Siberia, uh, an eyewitness by the name of Semen Semenov, a local farmer saw the sky split into, fire appeared high and wide over the forest. From where the fire was came strong heat, then the sky shut closed and a strong thump sounded and I was thrown a few yards. After that, such noise came as the cannons were firing, the earth shook. So this is what happened at the Tumuska event. Now, when you think of something like this, fire appeared high in the heavens. The, the heavens, the sky split into two and a noise came, right? And the earth shook and there was fire in the heavens, what comes to mind? Comet, right? Meteor, right? And it must have been a huge meteor to create something like this, the effects of it. And that's exactly what we have. And we're going to test this to see whether or not it satisfies the details given to us in the book of Revelation. By the way, Tumuska is right there in Siberia, which happens to be where? Russia. Could it be that Yahu was telling us that end time events, judgment events, will also take place in Russia or originate from, from Russia? Could be. Perhaps we can do a study on that. And we're going to share with you our ideas, our beliefs concerning the Antichrist and the beast. Not today, but in the future. There's something to keep in mind. The Tomuska event is in Russia. It took place in Russia. We're not going to go into details right now for why we believe there's a the reason why it took place in Russia, but we'll talk about that uh, later on. Anyways, that's the, the uh, Tomuska event. Now, what, how was it described, this event? According to Scientific American, based on the uh, eyewitness of the person we talked about earlier, such is the harrowing testimony of one of the closest eyewitnesses uh, to what scientists call the Tunguska event, the largest impact of a cosmic body to occur on the Earth during modern human history. Semenov experienced a raging conflagration about 65 kilometers or 40 miles from ground zero. 
but the effects of the blast rippled out far into Northern Europe and Central Asia as well. Some people saw massive silvery, saw massive silvery clouds and brilliant colored, colored sunsets on the horizon, whereas, whereas others witnessed luminescent skies at night. Londoners, for instance, could plainly read newspaper, newsprint at midnight without artificial lights. Geophysical observatories placed the source of the anomalous seismic and pressure waves they had recorded in the remote section of Siberia. The epicenter lay close to the river Pod, uh, Podkamenaya Tovuska, an uninhabited area of swampy taiga forest that stays frozen for eight or nine months of the year. So according to the eyewitnesses, and there were many eyewitnesses, and there were many books that were published, many scientific journals and articles that were published over the years because of the Tomuska event. And there were many eyewitnesses, and according to many eyewitnesses, they basically say the same thing. They saw conflagration, in other words, fire in the heavens, followed by bright lights in the evening, and also accompanied by an earthquake and loud noises, according to Scientific American, um, what kind of destruction did it produce? Amazingly, the blast had flattened millions of trees in the broad butterfly-shaped swamp, covering more than 2,000 square kilometers, 775 square miles. That's a lot of surface area, right? Uh, furthermore, the tree trunks had fallen in a radial pattern, extending out for kilometers, from a central area where, where telegraph poles alone stand of partially burned tree stumps still remain. And this is uh, some pictures of what happened. All the trees for miles on end, 700 plus square miles, all the trees were just flattened because of the blast, the Tobusta blast. And how powerful was the blast? According to Britannica.com, the energy of the explosion is estimated to have been equivalent to the explosive force of as much as 15 megatons of TNT, a thousand times more powerful than the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima, Japan on August 6, 1945. So this was a significant blast. You know, if this occurred elsewhere, instead of the mostly uninhabited um, place there in Tunuska, if this happened in New York City, there goes New York City, right? They're completely evaporated. It's a good thing Yahuwah was merciful and he made sure that this landed in the place where there were no people occupying it. But there were witnesses who are nearby and they saw and heard and experienced everything. So the Tomuska event, uh, we believe, is the fulfillment of the seventh seal, the physical manifestation of the seventh seal, which represents the judgment of Yahuwah, the beginning of his work to judge the people all over the earth. Now, let's go ahead and test it, because according to the biblical description, Revelation 8, verse 5, right, these are, the, this is the description of the physical manifestation on earth, and he describes it as fire from the altar being thrown to the earth, and there are many books written about this event, and one of those books is uh, the mystery of the Tunguska fireball, and so it was called a fireball because all the eyewitnesses, that's how they describe it, a fireball. Suddenly, a blindingly bright pillar of fire the size of a tall office building uh, races across the clear blue sky. The dazzling fireball moves within a few seconds from the south, southeast to the north, northwest, 
leaving a thick trail of light some 800 kilometers long. It descends slowly for a few minutes and then explodes about eight kilometers above the ground. The explosion lasts only a few seconds, but it's so powerful. And scientists today, um, when they look into phenomena like this, this is how it could look like. It actually looks even more amazing than this because this is not like uh, 500 megatons. This is a lot lesser, but it, it looks something like this. And when you look at this explosion, a fireball, it looks a lot like what is described in the book of Revelation, the fireball that was thrown into the earth. And so that seems to square well with the biblical description. But let's look at the other descriptive words. The Bible mentions noises and thunderings, right? Not only was it described as a fireball, the Bible says there were noises and thunderings. According to the Scientific American, the eyewitness said there was a thumping sound, noises that came from the event. According to this book again, the mystery of the Tunguska fireball. Then he woke up to the sounds that shook and destroyed his house and barn. And so the noise he heard was so powerful, it actually shook him. <laughs> it shook not only himself, it shook his house, including the windows. Another resident ran into his house as soon as he felt the heat waves burning his ears. There he heard thunder disappearing to the north. And so he heard thunder, the eyewitness, as he helplessly watched parts of his, falling apart, of his house falling apart. The shock waves traveled further north and threw the tents and their occupants off the ground. Many were injured, and an, el an elder died from shock. Uh, herds of reindeer uh, were killed by the fire and forest. 200 kilometers to, to the south, a farmer heard sudden bangs as if from gunfire. His horse fell on its knees, lest uh, his plow would fly away with a shockwave. He held onto it tight. And so the person was awoken by the noise that this event produced, the sound of the blast, the sound of the thunder, and the sound of gunfire. And so it describes the noises and the thunderings of Revelation 8.5, but it also mentions lightnings, right? It turns out, you know, it's interesting that the Greek word used for lightnings, if you go to the Greek word, the Greek word uh, used is astrape, Greek word 796, and it means light. It also means shining, right? So lightning, bright, shining. And so another way to translate uh, the book of Revelation 8.5 is not just with lightnings, but also with bright lights that appeared in the sky. And Scientific American describes exactly that. Some people saw massive silvery clouds and brilliant colored sunsets on the horizon, whereas others witnessed luminous in skies at night. Londoners, for instance, could plainly read newsprint at midnight without artificial lights. This was, remember, this took place in Siberia, and these are eyewitnesses who are from Europe. London, right? I mean, how many thousands of miles is that from the actual event? What else? According to the mystery of Tunkusa Fireball, the Royal Observatory at Greenwich um, reported in its magazine that the sky was filled with brilliant red color, that photographs of terrestrial objects could be taken at night. Nocturnal glows were observed for several nights following the Tunguska blast in various colors. 
ruddy ones in Berlin, Germany, light blue night sky with pink touching the clouds in London. It actually made people think that London was on fire. Bright nights in Bristol of England, brilliant red horizon in Greenwich, England, and a peculiar strong orange-yellow light over the horizon with more yellow in its higher parts over Northern Europe and the United States. Can you see how extensive the effect was? The main eyewitnesses actually are from Europe, and it is in that area where we know a lot of the inquisitions have taken place, right? And so it was like an announcement to the people responsible for distorting the gospel and infusing it with pagan and Gentile ideas that Yahuwah wants their attention. And so Yahuwah, again, is bringing fear in their hearts so that they will begin to repent and return to Yahuwah. What else? Several, uh, 700, 700 kilometers away, people wondered at the bright lights in the sky. 1,200 kilometers away, people became scared from hearing loud explosions like gunfire, in addition uh, to generating a local magnetic storm. The blast shook the atmosphere and the earth, causing an earthquake with magnitude 5.0 on the Richter scale. Seismic waves were detected and recorded at various parts of the world. In Europe and Asia, night skies remained bright for several days. And so the sky at night remained bright for not for several days. Can you imagine the kind of effect this would have on you? I mean, if this happened today, what would you think? Oh, it's judgment day, right? We're, we're all gonna be repenting and crying out. It's already judgment day because of something like this. And so when this happened in 1908, I'm sure it had a similar effect. So lightnings that was fulfilled. And lastly, earthquakes. I mean, we all know when there's a, an event like this, it likely did produce earthquakes. And according to a journal, the Journal of British Astronomical Association, written by Chris Trainer, the Tunguska event, he studied the Tunguska event, seismic waves were registered at several earth measuring stations around the world, including in St. Petersburg. The magnitude of the seismic activity was equivalent to Richter scale 5.0 of an earthquake. The shock waves, created by changes in atmospheric pressure were observed to have raced around the earth two times. Can you, so it basically covered the earth twice. The seismic waves, the shock waves that it produced created changes that were detected around the earth and its effect lasted until it went around twice. And it created earthquakes even as far as St. Petersburg and even as far as Europe. Now, to give you an idea for St. Petersburg, St. Petersburg is at, that's where it's at on the western part. The Tunuska event is right there. And so that's across Russia. And so you can only imagine how frightening this event was, this blast was. That's why it caught the imagination of astronomers, geologists, and physicists all over the world. Numerous articles and books were published to describe this event. So it was a cosmic uh, phenomenon, right? And so this event really took the imagination of many people throughout the world. This is why when you look at Revelation 8.5, you know, beginning with the fire being thrown on to the earth, the noises, the thunderings, the lightning, and the earthquake, we believe it was fulfilled June 30, 1908, the Tunuska 
event. And so when we look at our timeline, it fits quite nicely. 1755 to 1833 for the sixth seal. And, if, and then the seventh seal is open. We have 1908, the Tumuska blast. Um, and so when this happened, you know, when the seventh seal was fulfilled in 1908, what was its purpose? In Revelation 8, 6, so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And so when the event happened, when there was a physical manifestation on the earth of this golden censer filled with fire thrown into the earth, when it had a phys its physical manifestation, it was a signal to start what? The seven trumpets. The seven trumpets are going to be sounded. And what we know about the sounding of trumpets, its purpose is to warn the people of God to repent. It is to warn about a battle to take place. It's to warn about the upcoming day of Yahuwah. This is why it was the fulfillment of the prayers of the saints. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And so when the prayers were beginning, were answered by Yahuwah, Yahuwah set in motion the seven trumpet events. The seven trumpet events represent the last days, the ends of the earth, because that's when the restoration of the word of God that would lead to judgment would begin and will continue to take place until the final judgment is at end. Okay, so we'll talk about the trumpets next bible history project i think we already kind of covered it before didn't we the first two trumpets of the seventh seal but we'll go back to it because it's very timely and we'll look into it and see how it leads to the events taking place today and you're going to be astonished at the sixth trumpet event and we might be eyewitnesses to the unfolding of that very very soon so that is our lesson uh, for tonight. Before we go ahead and conclude, let us first offer a prayer. Almighty and merciful Father Yahuwah, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for giving us your holy words. We know, Father, that during this age, you are preparing people all over the world to heed your call, to receive the message of the gospel, to be embraced by your salvation. We in the assembly of Yahushua, we're doing our best to proclaim your truth. Father, we can only do so much. We rely upon your Holy Spirit. We rely upon your power. Manifest yourself, loving Abba, in the work of the assembly. Our King Yahushua, may you please be with us and by our side. We know when the end draws near, there's going to be testings. Our faith will be tested. Help us to pass these tests. Help us to hold on to you and the promises that you have for your servants. Please cleanse us and forgive us. Help us to be even more bold in proclaiming the truths of Abba. Father, thank you so much for listening to our prayers. May you bless and heal your people who may be afflicted with any sickness and restore us physically and spiritually. We ask everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.